uh, Christ of the book, uh, as we look at the book of Amos, the book of Amos, and in the book of Amos, Christ is the restorer. He is the restorer. Uh, one of the interesting things that we're going to see that uh, uh, Amos chapter, uh, chapter 1 through chapter 9, uh, the last few verses, up into the last few verses, is all about God's warning to Israel, the northern kingdom, and telling them to be aware or to beware that God's judgment is about to fall and that judgment is going to be harsh. That judgment on the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, is going to be severe. Uh, it's only until you get to the last part of the book of Amos that God holds out his mercy, his graciousness, and his willingness to restore based on his promise that that's what he is going to do. Not what Israel deserves, but what he is going to do. So by now you're familiar with the history of the nation of Israel, uh, where Israel had Saul as a king after they came out of, of Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness. They finally went into the land uh, under uh, uh, Joshua's leadership. Uh, for many, many years they had judges. And there came a time when the nation of Israel said, we want a king just like all the other nations. And so uh, Saul was anointed king, but he wasn't a very good king. And then after Saul, uh, he reigned for 40 years. Then David was a very righteous king, uh, did things that weren't good, but he was still a righteous king, and his heart's desire was to follow God and do God's will. He served for 40, 40 years as the king of Israel, and after King David came Solomon, and Solomon served 40 years, and the beginning part of his, his uh, rule was phenomenal. Uh, he was the, the wisest man that ever lived. People came from all over the world, the different kings and, and royalty came from all over the world to listen to Solomon's uh, wisdom. Uh, but the last part of his, his career, the last part of his uh, rule was not good at all. As a matter of fact, it was so bad that God uh, divided the kingdom. He took away the kingdom from uh, the, the northern kingdom away from uh, the, the Davidic rule. Uh, gave it to Jeroboam, as we're going to see in a few minutes. Uh, so the northern kingdom uh, was separated. That's where Samaria is. Uh, uh, and Judah, the southern kingdoms, where Jerusalem uh, is. And so you had the northern kingdom, and it was ruled by kings that weren't even part of the Davidic line. And their wickedness was just incredible. Their whole desire was not to follow the true God of heaven. As a matter of fact, their decisions, Jeroboam's decision not to follow God was based on the fact that if we follow God, if we do what God instructs us to do, then the uh, rule is probably going to go back to the Davidic line, and people are going to go down to Jerusalem to worship. We don't want them doing that, so we're going to set up temples uh, here in the northern kingdom, and we're going to make this, this golden calf again. Here we go again. We're going to make a golden calf to put in 
in Bethel and we're going to have a golden calf that we're going to put in a temple in Dan and the people are going to, to be able to, to worship here. You're not going to have to do what God says and go down to Jerusalem because down there, why they may tell you about the true and living God. Down there, you, you might see the hope that he holds out. We don't want you going down to Jerusalem because you might start following the true God again and the rule would go under, uh, back under the Davidic line and we don't want that. As a matter of fact, Jeroboam, as he started out in the northern kingdom, he went and picked not priests from the tribe of Levi the way God had directed him to do, but anybody could be a priest. And the choices turned out to be the worst people of all. And he would let, set them up as priests, and they would carry out the sacrifices in areas where they weren't supposed to be carrying out sacrifices. And the way they performed the sacrifices were not how they were supposed to be carrying out the sacrifices. And so it was political. It was political because I don't want to release this rule that I have. And what's interesting about that is God had promised Jeroboam. Isn't this so much like human nature? God came to Jeroboam through a prophet. And he told Jeroboam through this prophet, look, if you'll serve God, if you'll be faithful to God, he will bless you. And you know what he did? He ignored that prophet. Nah. I'm not going to do it. Not going to listen to this prophet, even though he did turn back to the prophet later on and say, hey, will you go to God and pray that this bad stuff doesn't happen to me? It's kind of too late by then. But this Jeroboam, he was, he was such a wicked king, and he allowed the people to do things that, uh, in, that in the worship in, in Bethel, which means the house of God, which was kind of uh, ironic, and, and Dan uh, in that city, he allowed the people. And here's what's so strange. Or not strange, but actually it's not strange at all. It kind of explains human nature. The people listened to that and they thought, you know what? At least we're going to be worshiping. I mean, we, who, do we really have to do what God says and, and go to Jerusalem and worship in, manner, in that manner? I mean, after all, we, we can we'll have our own temple here and let's just, can't we just worship our own way? Why do we have to do it God's way? You talk about justification. You talk about willingness to, hey, King, that you're smart. You're thinking outside the box when it comes to worship. Why, you, you giving us places closer to worship, God really didn't mean what he said. God really didn't care. He didn't really care. As long as we have a place to worship, we don't exactly have to do it the way. I mean, we, can't we design our, design our own worship service? Can't we design it the way we feel more comfortable? You know, and I read that and I think, boy, things haven't really changed a whole lot, have they? Things really haven't changed a whole lot. Let's make it comfortable. Let's not make it difficult. Let's not make it where we're faithful except by our own standards. Boy, and that's what was going on here with these people. So you have, you, you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, the, southern king, the northern kingdom 
and, and all the history by now, you know the history that's from Second, Second Kings to Second Chronicles covers the same period of time, covers the exact same people. Uh, and what we want to look at is where those prophets fit in. We've been talking about that. You know, the prophet this morning is going to fits in. Fits in. Fits in. Now, remember this, Hebrews 1.1. Look at Hebrews. It's important that we, we understand Hebrews 1.1. God, who at sundry times and in different manners, spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. So all that this history that, that takes place in, uh, well, really from Samuel all the way through Chronicles, you know, this history, God was speaking to Israel through these various prophets. There's, there's a historical accounting, and you, you read this historical accounting, you read what these kings were doing, and, and all the activity, and the battles, and the fighting, and, the, and the, the things that they were doing, and you scratch your head, and you, and you think, Man, these people are just, uh, they're corrupt, they're evil. Well, yeah, they were. But in all this time, God was supplying these prophets to, to declare the truth and His purpose and His will to them, and they were basically ignoring it. And so God spoke to them through the prophets. You know what's also interesting? Look at Luke 16. As I was studying this, Luke chapter 16. Now this is where we have... Uh, the verse 30. So we have the story of the, the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and Lazarus. And you know the story how the rich man and Lazarus die. And they go to the grave. The rich man goes to that part of the grave uh, that was uh, fire and torment, Hades. The, uh, Lazarus dies and he goes to Abraham's bosom where he's comforted. And so the, the Lord gives us the picture of what took place at that time before Christ led captivity captive and go to heaven. Uh, so you, you have a, a, a picture of all this going on here. And the rich man calls out to Abraham and he says, would you have just Lazarus go and dip his finger in water and, and put it on my tongue to bring me some relief? Kind of gives you an idea of how bad hell is. And Abraham says something very interesting. He said, there's a great gulf between us. And you can't come to us and we can't come to you because of this great gulf. And the rich man says, well, would you send Lazarus to my brothers, I have these brothers, and they're going to end up here. And this is not the place I want them to end up. Verse 28, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they come here unto this place of torment. And Abraham said unto them, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, 
If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. They came into him. I mean, he seen with 500 witnesses and they still reject. Israel still rejects today. So that proves Christ's point here. But his whole point was, I'm not going to send one from the dead. They have the prophets. Listen to the prophets. The prophets spoke for me. It was during this time. But even here in, in Christ's day, before he was crucified, this, this question, this, this need for them to follow God's word was being ignored, was being completely ignored. It was the prophets that God was using to shake his people up. It's the preaching of God's word that God's going to use to shake his people up. As a matter of fact, Romans 10 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's the word of God that shakes people up. It's the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to move into people's hearts, to change their hearts, for them to realize their condition. It's not what Rick Owsley says. It is not what any preacher in the land says in his own words. It's the word. God. And one of the reasons why we're in the condition we're in today in this country is because the Word of God has been thrown out of schools, of homes, and I'm going to tell you something else, most churches, most churches. You want to know why we put up with the garbage that we put up with nowadays? It's because we don't know what God's Word says. Most churches don't. And so here, it, 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 the prophet spoke and the people were to react. Look at Second Chronicles, chapter 36. Christ was very clear. You know, if one came from the dead, they're not going to listen. If they go, let them listen to the prophets. Second Chronicles, chapter 36. Now, by this time, Israel was already the northern kingdom was already in Assyrian captivity. Judah was about to go into Babylonian captivity. This was about 100 years later. Israel was already in Assyrian captivity. Judah was about to go into Babylonian captivity. Look at verse 15. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, Amos and Micah, and Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Zechariah, all of these messengers telling them, here's what God's Word says, obey God. Even, even uh, uh, Solomon, what's his name? Solomon. Even Solomon in Proverbs 29 talked about the fact that where there is no vision, the people perish. What that verse means is where there's no vision, where God is not speaking, where the Word of God is not broadcast, the people, the literal meaning is cast off restraint. Where the Word of God is not preached, where the Word of God is not proclaimed, where the Word of God is not believed, the people cast off restraint in anything, anything. Is a go. And you wonder why we're in such a condition today. 
But here the Lord, back to Second Chronicles. And the Lord God of their father sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. The word of God comes to us because God has compassion. He loves us. He's gracious. He's merciful. He wants us to know him and know the truth. He doesn't want us to go the wrong direction. But the people, after hearing from these messengers, these prophets, but they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of God rose against his people till there was no remedy. Oh, may we never get to the point where there is no remedy. You know what that means? That means God says, I'm done with you. As a matter of fact, when we get to Hosea next, uh, next week, the whole point of Hosea, who's also going to be a prophet to the northern kingdom, we get to Hosea, Hosea, God tells Hosea, you tell my people Israel, they are low ammy. You know what low ammy means? Not my people. That's no remedy. When God says, you're not, I don't recognize you as my people. Now, because God's faithful. He's faithful to his word and to his promise that he's going to rise, raise up Israel and Judah. And, and there's going to be a restoration. And that's basically what Amos is talking about here. But how sad, how sad that is. Matthew 23 Christ is talking again to the prophet, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he just lambasts them for not believing the prophets and for killing the prophets and rejecting their word in Matthew 23, 29 through 38. Read our Lord's words to them. And the seriousness, it, it wasn't just going on back here in Amos. It was happening in Christ's day. What they were doing back then, they were doing when Christ walked the earth during his earthly ministry. And when Stephen was about to be stoned, when Stephen was preaching to the nation of Israel, and they were under the judgment, and Israel, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of Israel, were, uh, they were getting preached to by Stephen he was telling them like it is and you know what he not only does he blame them for crucifying Christ just as Peter did he said you are stiff-necked you which means rebellious that's what the words whenever you read the word stiff-necked and it's used quite often concerning the nation of Israel God's telling him you are stiff-necked you're so rebellious man hasn't learned a whole lot but Stephen said, you are stiff-necked, you, you uncircumcised in heart, you continue to kill the prophets. You haven't changed a bit. Here is the Messiah. He went to the cross. He was the Lamb promised, and you're still doing the same thing. Not exactly sure how I got off on that, but it is true. It is true. The kings of the north were wicked beyond belief. 
If they made a willful decision, we're not going to serve the true God of heaven because we may not like the change that takes place. People might start following that Davidic line again, and we don't want that. So move forward 190 years from the time that Jeroboam made that decision, 190 years of really wicked kings. They come to Amos. But 2 Kings 14 is when Amos started prophesying. Jonah had just gone to Nineveh, and Amos is going, he's from Judah. He, he's a farmer. He's, he raises figs and sheep. Amos is a farmer. He's not a prophet, but he loves God. And God sends him a man. He's down in Judah. He doesn't even live in Israel. And God says, I'm going to send you to Israel. And he gets to Israel, and the priests of Israel, which aren't part of Levi's tribe, they tell him, you go back to Judah. We don't want you here. We don't, we don't want you here. They, and the priest there even goes to the king there in, in the northern kingdom to Israel and says, this Amos is saying things that we don't want to hear. Well, duh. The reason he's saying things you don't want to hear is because what you're doing is so wicked, and he's pointing out your wickedness. The book of Amos, I like Amos. He holds he, he, he holds back no punches. He is just a, he raises figs, he raises sheep, he works with his hands, he loves the country, and all of a sudden he, he is given a message by God, and he is faithful, faithful to carry that message to people that are so desperate to hear what God's Word says. So 190 years Later, 2 Kings 14 picks up, it lists all these different kings, and then you go to Amos, and Amos tells us exactly when he starts prophesying, so it fits right there in 2 Kings chapter 14. The key word as you go through the book of Amos is idolatry. The nation of Israel have built strange temples, worshiping strange gods, even though they were trying to convince themselves, well, this temple is really Jehovah. It's not. This, this is not Jehovah. They still had, they built the groves. They built the, the worship of Baal. They, they might have been trying to fool themselves, but you don't fool God. You can build your whole religious experience around all sorts of things that you consider to be God, but if it's not based on this, you're not worshiping the true and living God. So Amos goes, and he starts preaching. Like I said, the, 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 the key word as you go through that is the idolatry that they were committing. And you ever thought about this as I was studying this? First commandment. What is the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Do you realize Israel, they not just broke that law. They lambasted. That was the whole point. 
And so if you break the first law, guess what? You're not going to have any trouble breaking the next nine or the next 613. Think about that. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That didn't seem to stop them. They worshipped false gods. They worshipped trees. They worshipped stone. They worshipped gold. They worshipped everything but the true God of heaven. So if you're willing to break that first commandment, breaking the others, piece of cake. And that's exactly what they were guilty of doing. And so as I said, as Amos goes to Israel, the northern kingdom from Judah, Jonah, a type of Christ, he was messenger, remember, to Nineveh, representing being a, a type of Christ in the resurrection. He was, he was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. Christ is three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, representing the resurrection. And, and Nineveh, this Gentile nation, they absolutely did repent when here was Jonah, who was raised from the dead, raised up out of the well. He appeared to them. They saw that, and he was telling them, you better repent, or God is going to destroy this Gentile nation. Now, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that Jonah, it's not because he was afraid to go preach, because he was a prophet. He didn't want Nineveh say, because he knew that God was going to use Nineveh to judge Israel. And Nineveh, this Gentile nation, they repented. And the, author, the, the authority behind Jonah's message was the resurrection, was the fact that he was alive. And he served God, and they saw that, and it was, it was meaningful. And yep, God used Assyria about 70 years later to, to haul Israel into, into captivity. And by the way, uh, we need to understand that God made no special promises to Nineveh. He didn't enter into a special covenant relationship with this Gentile nation. He didn't say, if you'll repent, I will bless you, I, you will be my people, I will be your God. The, the point of Noah, Jonah going to Nineveh was, you better repent or I'm going to destroy you. So they repented. But there were never any promises ever made by God. They never entered into that special relationship that the nation of Israel entered into. So promises that God made to Nineveh to repent, they repented, and that was good for that time. But there was going to come another time when Nineveh is going to be destroyed, but by Babylon. And Babylon has been destroyed, but boy, they're going to be destroyed in the future. And while Jonah was on a mission trip to Nineveh, here comes Amos the farmer from Judah to Israel with a clear message, with a clear message. Judgment is coming. And if you study the book of Amos, you know one thing that's clear? God never put it on Amos' heart to tell Israel to repent. Never says, you better repent. He says, you need to love God. <laughs> you, 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 as the... the uh, 
memory verse was seek good and not evil that you may live. That was God's message from, from the prophets. But he never told Amos to tell Israel to repent because I think the clock was running out. So we have Amos that goes to Israel exactly 78 years prior. Jonah preaches for a year. Amos preaches for two years. Hosea is going to preach the entire 70 years to Israel, begging them to repent, begging them to change their ways. But look at Amos 4, verse 12. This, this was God's message through Amos to the nation of Israel. Amos 4, verse 12. Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. I don't know about you, but those words cause me to shudder. And I know God. I know He's my Savior. I know He's Lord. I know what He did on Calvary's cross. I know what He accomplished on my behalf. But I still read those words and I shudder for those people that do not know God. Prepare to meet thy God. Boy, those are strong words. Verse 13, for lo, he that forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares unto man what is his thought, that makes the morning darkness and treads upon the high places of the earth. The God of hosts is his name. He is creator. He is all-powerful. If he can do these things, there is nothing that he can't do. Prepare to meet this all-powerful God. What does the northern kingdom do? Do they repent? Do they say, wow, we had better get our act together? As you study through 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, they just get nastier. They get mean. They worship false gods more. More? And they keep shoving the true God away. We find out from one of the prophets that, uh, well, we already talked about Solomon, when there's no vision, the people perish. Uh, with their, uh, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That's one of the prophets, and I forgot which one, but we'll be sure to cover him before we're done. Uh, but my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It has nothing to do with E equals MC square. It has nothing to do with secular knowledge. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Knowledge of what? The Word of God. The Word of God. God's direction. Points to Amos. A couple of points to Amos. In Amos 2.4, and this included Judah because Judah, Israel's sister, was skipping along down the same path to destruction. 
And Judah's going to have their prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, no, don't go this, don't, stop. You see the northern kingdom, don't do what they're doing. It's destruction. They're going to have their prophets. But in Amos, we learn that the law and commandments were known by these people, but they were despised. The people of Israel knew the law. They knew the commandments, and they despised them. Amos warns the children of Israel not to be so oppressive. Amos 2.6 tells Amos warns them that the poor and the helpless, you have downtrodden, you, you have disdained, you have treated horribly. How you have treated the poor and the needy so unfairly, God's going to judge you for that. Because that's an indication of your character. That's an indication of the type of individual you are. And God used Amos to point that out. Immoral? Amos points out to them, you are so immoral. While the father and the son, they go and lay with the same woman. And he lists so much of their immorality. Not, not be so. Don't Israel, who ever told you that this was appropriate? Oh, it's those false gods that you're serving and the people of the land that I told you to destroy that are putting all these things in your head. And so you're these false gods. That's the reason you want to worship them. This is the reason why you want to create your own religious system so you can incorporate this immoral behavior because you know what the true God of heaven says about that. Don't do it, yet your flesh cries out for you to do it, and you do it. Idolatrous? Oh, Amos points out just how idolatrous they were. And by the way, this didn't come from uh, a local newspaper this morning. The things that I'm reading right now about the problems in Israel, uh, I didn't get out of the newspaper this morning, but I probably could have, right? Could have. Israel knew who the true God of heaven was, but they chose to abandon him. They chose to abandon him. They were living, get this, get this. They were living luxuriously. During this time when Amos is up there preaching, do you know that Israel was powerful? Do you know that they were prosperous? During this time? And their attitude was not, thank you, Lord, for your blessings you have just blessed us abundantly. It was, hey, I'm doing so good. I don't need you, God. Boy, if that's not words for today, I don't know what are or what is. They're living luxuriously. Amos 6, 1 through 6, you can read that. People were so complacent because all of their needs were being met. They just they had such good lifestyle for the for the time being, but that was about to come to an abrupt halt. Why was that? Because man is broken and bent and needs a Savior. That, God's dealing with Israel 
what, what God's dealings with Israel points out is just how broken and bent man is and how desperate they are for a Savior. How desperately they need a Savior. And Amos in his condemnation of Israel points out that Israel has no excuse. Not ignorance. Not blessing. Because they had known the true God, but they had rejected Him for comfort and for the pursuit of fleshly desires. I didn't get that out of this morning's newspaper. But the message from this farmer was, Israel, get ready. Judgment is coming. Didn't come for another 70 years. But it's coming. It's coming. One of the things that take place, one of the things that happens is Amos says, all this is going to happen after there's an earthquake. There's an earthquake coming, by the way. And I'm telling you now, there's going to be an earthquake. And when that earthquake happens, you better, you better think about your relationship with God. When this earthquake takes place, that's going to, you're going to know that what I'm saying and preaching is true. Well, guess what happened two years after that? There was an earthquake. Secular history records the earthquake that took place there. It was anywhere from 7.2 to 8 point on the Richter scale. Zechariah 14 makes reference when Zechariah finally comes on the scene and preaches. And he reminds Judah, you remember that earthquake that Amos talked about in the day of... That you, that's going to happen. You need to be aware that God is on His throne. He is in control. He's trying to tell you He loves you. He's trying to tell you that He's merciful. He's trying to tell you that He cares. He's telling you that He's all-powerful. And there's nothing beyond His ability. Why do you reject Him? Why do you turn away from Him? Why do you ignore this God who is all-powerful? Well, Amos ends by making sure that we understand that He is the great restorer. Yes, all these things are going to happen, but look at Amos chapter five or, or 9. I'm sorry. Amos chapter 9. Read, read through Amos and you see the things that, that God said he was going to do. Two things that he showed Amos vision of and Amos went to him and says, God, please don't. Please don't do those things. And God says, okay, I won't do those things. But finally God says, these things I'm going to do to Israel. And not just to Israel, but all the other nations around Israel that were participating in their sin. God says, it's going to happen to them also. And so God was, he told Israel through Amos. In Amos chapter 9, here are the five promises of restoration. See, God wants Israel to know that he loves them. He wants them to know if they would turn to him, that he would save them. Verse 11. By the way, verse 10. 
And all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say, the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. How many people today say, nah, that's not going to happen to me? You ever, have you ever thought about this? And this is something else I thought about this week. I may be crazy. I, I may be so far off in left field with this. You may think this is the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. I'll tell you later. When you read that verse, when I read that verse, I thought to myself, you ever thought how death comes to other people? That death, that you don't think you're ever going to die? I mean, we all know that we're going to die. But I think we live our lives thinking it's the other fella. It's going to, well, certainly that's not going to happen to us. Why? Because we've lived. We're, we're alive. And you can tell me whether you think I'm all um, as you're leaving, that uh, I'm crazy. But I think that's the attitude of people. Why they continue in sin is because the furthest thought is, that's not going to happen to me. Why, everybody else is going to have to give an answer to God. Everyone else's knee is going to bow. Everyone else's tongue is going to confess, but not mine. I'm not going to die because that happens to everybody else. And so we live our lives with that false notion. Well, that's what God is saying here through Amos. Those sinners, they're going to die by the sword. They're going into captivity. Wow, the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. You want to bet? You want to bet? But look at the promise of God. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen. See, that's contrary. That's exactly what the northern king didn't want to happen. That's what their fear was is that if we allow worship down in Jerusalem, down in the southern kingdom, why, they're going to restore that Davidic line. And God says, yep, that's exactly what I'm going to do. What a promise from God. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. I'm going to rebuild the temple. I'm going to rebuild the line. I'm going to have my way. I'm going to do this, Israel, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the heathen which are called by my name, and the Lord that doeth this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed. And the mountains shall drop sweet wine. And all the hills shall melt. Talk about blessings of, of supply and prosperous. God says, I'm going to do this on your behalf. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel. I'm going to bring them out of captivity. I'm going to save them. And they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. And they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. That just sounds so nice, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound delightful? Doesn't that sound peaceful? All the rest of Amos is God's judgment is severe. God's judgment is coming. But then God uses, ends it with blessing after blessing. Verse 15, and I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith 
the Lord thy God. The end. Another word for that is restorer. All that's been lost, all that has been damaged, all that you've caused, the wickedness that is brought about. God says, I'm going to restore. How does he restore it? He restores it through the Lord Jesus Christ. What a Savior. What a God. What an example that we have of demonstrating the need that fallen man has for the Savior of the world. The more I study Christ of the book, the more I look at these prophets, the more I listen to their message, the more I see how desperate man really is, how needful man is, and how thankful I am that God looked beyond my faults and he saw my need and he met that need. Thank you, God, for loving me in such a manner. Amen. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you that you love us beyond measure. Father, the depth, the width, the height of your love just blows our mind. Father, when we read what the prophets said to this chosen nation, this nation that you had blessed, when we see their depravity, when we see their sin, and we hear your words, Father, we stand in amazement that you didn't just snuff them out. You're a just God. And because you are just, Father, that's what they deserved. But Father, your justice was meted out upon your Son. We stand in amazement. We stand in gratitude. This morning, I pray if there's anyone here that's never by faith trusted you, that, Father, they will see their deep, deep, overwhelming need for you. They'll recognize just how lonely, how desperate, how dangerous their lives are that they're living without you. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for this present time in which we live where your grace is abundant and free. God, you're no respecter of persons. Father, we can preach that your salvation, eternal life is offered to all who but believe that Christ died for them, was buried, and rose again. Father, how thankful we are that we're not under the law, but we're under your grace because we saw when, when they were under the law, they stood condemned. Father, how thankful we are for your amazing grace. We thank you for that position we have in your Son who fulfilled the law.
And that we stand righteous and complete in Him. Oh, Father, as we look at these prophets, if we look, as we look at these messages, Father, how safe, how eternal, how glorious is the position that the church, the body of Christ, enjoys today, being in Christ, complete in Him. We thank you for that truth. And if there's anyone here tonight, this morning, that doesn't know it, that needs to know you, Father, may this be the day. By faith, they trust. We pray all these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.